Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Food Farms and Chefs. And I am so happy to be able to introduce you to Nick Forsberg, who is the owner and chef at FET, or yes, FET and Fisk. (laughs) Well, welcome, Chef. It's a great pleasure to have you on Food Farms and Chefs. And first and foremost, I want to say congratulations on your 2023 nomination for James Beard, Um, you know, Pittsburgh, well represented with uh, three chefs nominated. What an outstanding, uh, you know, thing it says about the food scene in Pittsburgh. So congratulations on that and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So, Chef, you you run a a very unique concept there, um, you know, that really plays to a population of what people would not necessarily know in Pittsburgh. Uh, it really plays towards the Scandinavian cuisine and and the food out there. And, you know, you do a, a biweekly, you know, event where you bring mm-hmm. people together in different venues in a casual setting to enjoy some amazing food uh, and just friends and, and share a great evening together. How did this whole concept come about? Um. Well, uh, my good friend, Sarah Laponte and I, um, who also worked in the service industry, we were just kind of scheming about passing the time one winter, January, 2019, I think. And she was like, Hey, you're a good chef. Um, what if we threw some pop-up, uh, dinner parties? So we had kind of been having, a been having dinner parties at our house involving oysters. And um, she was like, you know, you're Swedish, you like seafood, let's tie this in. And the project kind of took off from there. People were really into it. We were running speakeasy style dinners. And I worked at a farm on the time too. So it made um, perfect sense to kind of tie uh, tie in the organic farming element as well once, um, you know, vegetables started popping out of the ground. You know, people do not necessarily think of Pittsburgh as, you know, the the mecca for oysters and, you know, products that would have some Scandinavian overtures to it and things like that. But from here, I, I'm in the Bucks County, right outside Philadelphia region. And we have a whole big group of individuals here called the Sweden Borgia, which is, uh, you know, it is a religious group. Uh, it's an offshoot. It's actually a philosophical group more than anything, but they have a tremendous population and a big following and, a, and you know, uh, a lot of individuals out there in Pittsburgh. And I am sure that since you've begun doing this, you've had a lot of people approach you and say, hey, you know, thank you for doing this. We couldn't really find anything. I know before you were doing this, you spent a little time 
uh, the Tekken, which has a, an Eastern European flair to it. And before that, they had um, the predecessor to Aptekka was Pierogi Knights. So, you know, it had a little bit of that Eastern European flair. But uh, how's it being received? I mean, it's being received really well. I think I'm hitting a lot of um, notes for different people. I mean, we've definitely had a lot of Scandinavians come out of the woodwork, really enjoy my food, or they call me a fake Swede because the cooking isn't Swedish enough. Um, but I think, you know, I um, I try, I mean, more or less, I'm just cooking kind of like classic European dishes with uh, sort of like a Scandinavian or Nordic twist with the focus on, you know, seafood and and good vegetables. I mean, it's really all about the ingredients. So, and, and, you know, when people talk about that, obviously seafood is such a presence, but you also do some porpolets and some other items in there as well. That yeah. That. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's this movement in new Nordic cuisine, like restaurants like Noma and Favakin, and it's all these like really heavy hitter Michelin star restaurants are all focusing on, on using the things in the region. So I'm not aspiring to be anything like them, but I think it is important to kind of highlight all these great products we have in the region or like I try to, you know, I only buy sustainably harvested seafood or something like that. And these days, I mean, you can get anything shipped overnight. So it's just as fresh as if you were at the docks getting it yourself. So a little bit about your journey. You are from Asheville, North Carolina, if I'm correct. Um, yeah, that's where I grew up. Yep. Yeah, you did a lot of your early culinary down there. Um, so tell our listeners what you know. What was your inspiration to get into culinary? What your training was, uh, you know, and then what brought you from Asheville, North Carolina, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? Um. I mean, I always liked food, and I think there's a big emphasis on food in my family, as as most cooks will say. Um, but I I took some vocational culinary courses in uh, my high school. I was lucky enough to have those available. Um, went to college for a year, didn't like it, dropped out, and then I started washing dishes and then just kind of climbed the ranks from there. And really, um, at a certain point, you know, I just started taking more and more ambitious jobs because I was craving food knowledge. And um, I think I moved to Pittsburgh just because I wanted to, you know, just find like a little bit bigger city. I, you know, I was, I, uh, was a little stale on Asheville after a number of years and um, moved here and found the restaurant scene to not be anything that I felt like I could really grow in. And that's, that's when I started farming as an alternative way to, um, yeah, to produce food basically and, and get in touch with good ingredients. Well, certainly listening to your story warmed my heart and the fact that I was a high school vocational culinary instructor for over 15 years of my no life. So hearing you say that, it's just an absolutely wonderful thing. And I, you know, I know many of my students have gone on to be very successful and and do wonderful things with their career. But it's always nice to see somebody at your level and hear somebody at your level that had that influence from a vocational program. Yeah, definitely. It was a big it was a turning point for me, too, and really, really got me into cooking as, you know, potential career. Although I didn't think then that I'd end up where I am now. Well, I read a little bit where you know, out there in the Pittsburgh scene and you were working for Tech, you were working for a number of different places out there. You were doing some different things. But none of it was really what you wanted to do. 
So, you know, what took you to that kind of Scandinavian, you know, European influenced uh, food? You know, is this something you always had an interest in or, you know, what, what led you to, to that whole what your cuisine that you're doing now? Um, well, it was a lot of, it was a lot of steps before it was fully formulated, I think. But I mean, I, I kind of came up the kitchen I cut my teeth in was really French focused, like, um, classic French dishes and other, you know, sort of European standbys with a, a lot of attention to detail and, um, always really liked that kind of food and all the, you know, all those basics that you would learn in culinary school, um, and then, yeah, I think I moved here and I found like it was sort of a burgeoning food scene. But like I said, my friend Sarah and I, Sarah Laponte, who is now kind of like the creative director of our brand and um, is going to be a maitre d' at the restaurant. She um, she and I both agreed that there wasn't really, as someone who people who worked in the industry, like there wasn't really that place that we knew we we wanted to go to like, you know, like, Oh, we're going out to eat. Obviously we're going to blank this place. Like we felt like there was some, some things that were lacking and someone working in the food industry, you can kind of see through what other people are doing. If you go out to eat, it's easy to, to run the numbers or, or, you know, analyze the service and be like, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is really quite there, what we want. So I think we were kind of trying to create a place where we would want to work first or that, someone like us would want to go and eat and enjoy and just make it feel like a, a good time. I love how you, you know, said that and spoke about that place where, you know, we want to go approaching it with, you know, that mentality of, you know, something for the, the true food lover, the people who really, you know, want to go out and do something. Another key part of it is that, that you're, meals are extremely reasonably priced i mean you know you're serving an incredible menu but it's not something that you know if i went to a lot of restaurants you know when you mentioned a few you know i would be paying 150 200 for that dinner and that's sure. not so um, yeah so. yeah i mean i think our our overhead's been rather low the whole time and I, it's really important for me as um you know, someone who isn't uh, raking it in cash wise is like gets a good value. Like I want to present a good value for the money. And I think having the farming aspect helps us keeping that in house kind of subsidizes the the menu costs a little bit. Um, and um, I think, uh, you know, I don't know, unfortunately, like we're probably going to have to up our prices once we're fully operating in the brick and mortar. But I think it's, it's really important to me that if I was on the other side of, of the kitchen or the other side of the bar that, you know, I, I'd feel like I was getting a good value regardless of my, you know, financial standing, I suppose. Well, I'm going to tell you as a, as an old, as an old head, you know, somebody with a full head of gray hair, he's been around a long time. Yes. You're going to have to up your prices, but the way you're walking into this with the philosophy you have, you know, I know that when I get out to Pittsburgh and stop in there, it's still going to be a great value-based type of situation. Um, you know, you're approaching it from that, and that is just so so visible in anything you read about you in this discussion. So, you know, really applaud you for that. Try to create that, and and that allows you to educate 
more and more people about cuisine and about what food should be and how exactly. it's a common language for us all. So yeah, thanks for doing that. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm, I'm really glad that's coming across from a distance as well, because it's, it's hard for me to zoom out and see that kind of stuff sometimes. So I'm glad you're picking up on that. Oh, absolutely. It, it's very, very visible. Tell our listeners a little bit about the farm and, and, you know, where, what is the farm that you're working at? Uh, what's, you know, the main products that you're producing, you know, and, um, and really how that's impacted you. Um, yeah. So in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I kind of found myself pretty out of a job and pretty bored. Um, I mean, the, the Fed Fisk was just a part-time thing. It was a side gig, you know, that we were building and then we didn't really know what to do. And, um, so I found, I, I went through like the, um, adopt a lot program here in Pittsburgh, um, to start an urban farm plot. And it took a lot of, it took a lot of groundwork getting, pulling rocks out of the ground and all that and and setting it up infrastructure wise with you know pretty much no money but all i had was time so um you know it was basically like a big just a big garden project and um i've been in that space for four years it's in the lincoln lemington like uh larimer neighborhood Um, and i'm in the process of trying to purchase the lots right now um, but with the restaurant, we're looking to hopefully find some more land and expand somehow or work work out um, some sort of contractual like purchasing setup with a, with another farm um, because we're just going to, I mean, it's great for, it's great for pop-ups and just my weekly routine at the farmer's market, but it's, it's, it's not enough space. It's about half an acre um, it's not enough space to provide for a, a big restaurant like this. And um but I think, I mean, I start on my menu writing on the farm hundred percent, like, and, you know, things when we're in a glut, I process things and I just, I just look at what I have and write the menu from there. It's, it's gotten really pretty easy um, for me to, yeah, flesh out a menu with the farm involved. Well, I, I love that, you know, you approach things as you said, you start to menu at the farm. Um, one of my mentors early on, I had an opportunity to meet him and, and, you know, do a little project with, was Charlie Trotter and, you know, Charlie oh, wow. Trotter led that, you know, inspiration about get, you know, chefs being out on the farm, learning what ingredients are, getting the most for those, you know, freshly produced, you know, items out there on the farm and really doing that and, and just an outstanding human being in so many aspects and uh you know i mean a huge loss for our industry obviously but you know that has transpired and i came back to the classroom as a teacher and i was able to get some grant money and i actually did a program you know um it was a farm to the table program where i was taking our culinary students out to farms all through the pennsylvania region where you know with it was in a couple hours drive and showing them, you know, these are microgreens, these are, you know, fresh grown herbs. You know, we had a program with a school that had a uh, a cattle farm and we were buying, you know, uh, a young calf, growing it in you know, maturity, going through the butchering process, and then bringing those students out to actually have some finished food from that and, and doing, you know, some more. And what a great thing that you're doing there in, in uh, you know, starting right there and, and doing all that i just Thanks. love that yeah it makes my job well <laughs> managing a kitchen and a farm it's not the easiest job but like 
on paper, I mean, it does, it does make my job as a chef a lot easier having the good ingredients. I mean, you'll hear any chef say that, but I think being able to like handpick when we harvest stuff and like, I think, I think that's a, I owe a lot of success to that. Just the fact that I've tied the farm element in. So with just a couple minutes left, tell our listeners about the restaurant project uh, when you're, you know, when it's, you're looking for, you know, towards an opening and, and a little bit about that. Yeah. So we got in, we got in here on uh, June 6th, we started work and um, we're, um, we're in the Bloomfield neighborhood of Pittsburgh at Lombardozzi, the old, the former Lombardozzi space, which was a pretty happening spot back in the day. It's like an old <laughs> point. Um, but it, I think, you know, from everything we heard, it was the place to be. And and aesthetically, the the space is a really good fit. It was, um, they opened in 1973, and there's a lot of a lot of good character in this space that we really don't want to um we don't really want to cover up and let it shine and make it still feel like a neighborhood restaurant that's been around for a while. But um the fact of the matter is that it has been around for a while and they haven't been in business for they haven't been open for a few years. So there's been a lot of uh, demo work and, you know, carpet coming out. Um, I was, yeah, I'm here right now and there's lots of sanding and grinding and chipping and all sorts of stuff that I had to uh, put on pause here for a second to hop on the the show. But um, we're, we're replacing a lot of the utility stuff. Like we have, we need a new hood and new plumbing and, um, but we're feeling optimistic that we can um, open sometime between November and January of coming up. So, so far we're on schedule, but if, as anyone knows, that's dealt with contractors or anything like that, uh, you know, it's anyone's guess. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, much success on that. So in our last minute here, tell our listeners where they can find more information about your biweekly dinners about the farm, about happenings, and, and just more about you. Sure, yeah. I mean, the the most updated source is definitely Instagram, and we're at FET underscore FISC. It's F-E-T underscore F-I-S-K, or at www.fetfisk.net. And for our listeners who don't know, the name has a very unique thing, being that they sell seafood. It roughly, if I'm correct, it roughly translates into, like, oily fish. Yeah, like greasy fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah greasy like fish, fat fish, oily fish. Yeah, we um, yeah, we're just some you know DIY punk kids, so we're we're a little greasy too. So we felt it was a good representation, but we're cleaning things up in here. So well, thank you, Chef, so much. I'm so excited you. for you. Uh, certainly going to be another addition to a very vibrant Pittsburgh culinary you know, community and congratulations again on your nomination. Um, absolutely fantastic. And, you know, I hope to, uh, on my next trip out to Pittsburgh, stop in and, and, uh, be able to sample some of your wares. Thank Definitely. you so much for joining us. Yeah. Looking forward to meeting you in, in person and hopefully feeding you, Gene. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. And we will be right back after this short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut 
every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. and welcome back to Food Crimes and Chefs. I am so happy to be able to introduce you to Anas, who owns Lily's Ferry in Old City, Philadelphia. Anas, welcome to the show. So um, you're not originally from the U.S., but you did actually uh, come here at a young age. So um, if you can hear an accent to our li- for our listeners, that's the reason why. But before we hopped on, I actually um, had he had announced announced that he just got back from a trip to Jerusalem. So welcome back. I just came back last night, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> so if you get a little tired, we'll understand why. But um, it's, before we kind of jump into everything, I, I want to find out a little bit about your history in the culinary world. How did you sure. get started in, in, in owning the business? Sure. So, um, I, I came actually to, um, to the U S when I was, um, and, uh, 14 years old and, um, I moved on my life in, um, I, li- I lived in Maryland. I work with my family on the furniture business. Um, then, um, I, I moved here when the COVID started hit, I moved to Philadelphia to run the operation and I started thinking about the restaurant idea. And, um, I was trying to, to have something like, um, like Middle Eastern because most of the restaurants I've seen here, a lot of Mediterranean, they follow under Middle Eastern, but I want something just Middle Eastern that, you know, that a little bit of Mediterranean that, um, that the real food that we have back, back home, I would like to have it here, especially in the old city. There's a lot of visitors that comes to the old city and, um, and a lot of tours that he comes and I want them to see what's the, what, you know, what's the real Middle Eastern food, the one we have. Yes. And I mean, to your accord, Middle Eastern food has so much flavor and there's a, a, a technique that you guys use to, to create your meals. Like it, I feel like it takes a little bit longer because I feel like you marinate things longer and you, you know, you put a lot of different ingredients in it to kind of pull those flavors together. Yeah, that's for sure. So, um, the fact of the matter is your, your business is named Lily's Ferry. And I think there's a cute and adorable history behind how you came about choosing that name. So let our listeners know, you know, exactly who the namesake is. So Lily's, it's actually my daughter. She just turned four. <laughs> um, and I did the ferry. It's for the, um, the Philadelphia, the old boat. Um, so when, while, I, while I was shopping for um, a restaurant, I always had the name that I want to name the restaurant Luna, which is the moon in Spanish in Italy. And one time I was in the city with my daughter. And we were she she saw she saw the boat and in, in one time I guess from the curtain she'd be watching and she, she said the word fairy and I started laughing. And I said, you know what? Um I'm gonna come up with a name that's I'm gonna start naming it for my daughter, Lilies. Um and you know, end up with fairy. And yeah, I changed my mind from Luna to Lily's Fairy. <laughs> And I think it's very cute that you named your restaurant off of like on behalf of your daughter and something that she observed at like random, Um, you know, it's very, it you know, and it kind of brings family ties family into it because obviously like you, you were probably inspired by your parents owning businesses. You Mm -hmm. then, you know, sought out to own a business that 
give, you know, offers food that you're familiar with your comfort food. Um, but I do know that you have on your menu, some things that are a little bit, um, comfort food for Philadelphians, but like with a middle Eastern twist, like you have a Philly cheesesteak. Yes. So it's Philly cheesesteak, but I did, um, the only difference that we made, I, I named it Lily's cheesesteak, which is, um, I, I changed the bread and I used the, the bread I use for the, the, you know, the Middle Eastern bread that we use. And um, I tried it when we, we had the, um, the, the, the old city eats mm-hmm. and a lot of people loved it. And actually we, we sell a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm going to stuck with that name. I'm going to name it Lily's cheesesteak. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, is you're batting up against Philadelphia's market <laughs> where we're known for cheesesteaks and not that I want to harp on like that <laughs> in particular, but like, bread like the bread is where it's at so i was like a little nervous for you because you utilize pita bread and not like uh a roll that's like an amoroso roll or you know one of the the many rolls that are out there that um that were were known for loving in philadelphia so i was a little nervous when i saw that you had a cheesesteak and i was like (laughs) i wonder how that's gonna come across but um, speaking of food, I, I want to talk, I want to just get in into the authenticity of it because you um, brought a chef from all the way from Dubai. But, and yes. like, I was wondering, first off, what is your chef's name? His name, Haytham Ghanem, is his last name. Um, he's, he, he's actually in, in also in our business, one of the, one of the good restaurants in Jordan. And after Jordan, he's, so he's from Dubai, but he had a business in Jordan. Then, um, and, and also he had a business in Dubai. Uh, when COVID hits, it's especially the Middle Eastern countries, it got hit really bad with COVID. So mm-hmm. a lot of business, it went down. And that's what makes him um, to, to think, think about coming to the U.S. So as soon as I, you know, I heard about him, I was like, you know what? I need you to be my chef. And uh, since that day, we start shopping for stores and uh, we finally find one in the whole city. And, and he have a lot of amazing idea that we like to bring in the near future. Ooh, I ca- can I get a little hint of that and get like a, a- <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first moment. <laughs> so yeah. So he also lived a little bit in Turkey mm-hmm. and in Turkey, they have also amazing, amazing food that he, he saw a lot of ideas that we like to do it, but, you know, we're just waiting in a good time when it gets more busy. Um, so hopefully that's always, you guys will see that soon, especially in all so- social media. Yes. Facebook, yeah. Now you had mentioned the fact that, you know, and I, and I know this just because of being, you know, introduced to a, a bunch of different cuisines and cultures. Um, uh-huh. But you, you, you're where you're from is very heavily influenced by vegetarianism. Um, what kind of, uh, meals you offer for the individuals who are seeking out a uh, non-meat-based meal? So um, we have the falafel sandwich and um, that's, that's more um, falafel and um, and of course, uh, of course it's hummus that people, a lot of people seen it that loved it and um it's more similar things to that, which is like babaganui and all this kind of stuff. And I, you have something on your menu that I've never actually come across before. And I wrote it down so that I wouldn't lose it. Of course, I'm losing it now. Um, but as far as, you know, your your foods are concerned, 
like, what do you see? Um, what do you see your influences on your cuisine? Like on the options, like who, how did you come about choosing, you know, exactly what you're going to offer? Because I know that Philadelphia of the U S we base a lot of our choices on, you know, a heavy meat, um, to vegetable balance. So what, what influenced you with your culture and with us culture for your menu options? So, so in our culture, we actually follow a lot on the, on food, especially like with mixed with a grill, anything like with mixed grill, like, which is a uh, kebab, if you are familiar and uh, lamb chops and chicken in general. So, um, we're not back in my country. We're not really eating. Uh, they're not really veggie, but so we're trying to. I'm trying to bring it a little bit with by the falafel and the hummus. And I'm working with my chef now to add more stuff to the menu that for the for the people who's, who doesn't like um, who who just staying veggie and you know not eating um, meats and chicken. Yeah. Now, so that's some, going to be on the menu soon. We get, we're going to add more stuff to it. And I'm sure that everybody's going to like flock to it and love that. Um, yeah. Now, you yeah. also have something that isn't always like popular, but like you actually have a cocktail menu too. And I know that you have some cocktails based off of your name. So um, I believe your bar manager, you know, came up with them. But what are some of the cocktails that you guys offer? So um, with with the cocktail menu, um, we we did have actually a, a good a good things of um, a good a good cocktail that my my bar manager, which is my old guy, his name Chris. Unfortunately, Chris had to leave, so now we gotta we gotta rechange the menu again for the alcohol, like, and we gonna have a different menu for the for the cocktails. Okay. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to what the the new menu is going to be. But in during the in the meantime, what are some of the cocktails you do offer? Um, I, I don't have nothing right now in my head, but there's uh, yeah, but there is because even even myself, I'm not a I don't really drink. Is 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 part of my culture, but but that's something that we are gonna have um uh, a new a new drinks on um. On a menu. Okay. I do know that because I looked up one of the drinks is a chili rhubarb pie dr- cocktail. And I feel like that's a spicy, like that would be like a spicy sweet kind of combination. But as you said, you were going to change it up. So I won't, I won't, you know, bat your head against the wall <laughs> with that one. But um, as far as your venue is concerned, you're directly across from the uh, the Penn's Landing. So you can physically huh. see like the Ferris wheel and the Brent Ben Franklin yes. Bridge in the background. Um, do you ha- have any kind of events or specials that you run? So, yes. So on a, on a Saturday that we also do a comedy show. Um, there's a next line comedy show that we do it every Saturday, um, starting in August, we're going to start to push it more Friday and Saturday on the second floor. On the second floor, there's a good view that you can see from the 95 to the, the other side and by the river too. And, um, and it's also on the plan that, um, we like to, when we do remodeling on the second floor, right now there is two windows, but the idea is to, to kind of cut the wall and have it all one window. Uh, but there's something in the plan that we like to do in the future. That sounds wonderful. Um, yeah. And, and very exciting. And I look forward to it. 
Um, I do not want to keep you for too, too long though, because I can hear in your voice that you're, you know, I'm stressing it out a little bit. So why don't I let you go a little bit earlier, but, um, let our listeners know where they can find you online and in person. Sure. So Lily's Ferry is, is located at, uh, 10 South Front Street, Philadelphia, BA zip code 19106. And, um, or hours it, um, it's Tuesday to uh, Friday, 11 to 11, um, Saturday, 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., Sunday, 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., and we do close on Monday. And um, follow us on Lily's Ferry on Instagram and add us on Facebook. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs, Amos. And I look forward to trying out some of those new menu items. Thank you so much for having me. And we will be right back after this short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I am so happy to be able to introduce you to Juan Plasencia, who is the chef and owner of Brasas Barbecued and Chicken. Juan, thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be a part of this interview today. <laughs> of course. And um, speaking of exciting, I was reading up behind, like on, on your research on your background, and you Quite the background. You started in the culinary scene at an extremely young age. Yeah, I, I like to tell people that I started my career in food and restaurants when I was six. That's when my parents opened their first restaurant. And I mean, integrating into it, because I believe you started cooking at age 10. Yeah, I would I would cook at home a lot, um, not at the restaurant, you know, um, but at home on weekends, like for brunch or breakfast. It was kind of like the thing that I'd love to do. And when I was at the library as a kid, I was gravitating towards food related books, like books on butchering, um, different types of meats, uh, cookbooks of all types. So I kind of had the bug early on, I guess. Yes, I would definitely say so. And I mean, your your parents immigrated to the U.S. when you were also very young um, and, you know, had the restaurants that, you know, were based in Peruvian, um, the Peruvian culture and cuisine. And, you know, so you kind of grew up in that realm, in that business um, and throughout your youth worked in the, that environment, but then you, you know, ended up going to the Culinary Institute of America and graduating from there, which is when you right out the bat started working for one of the biggest names, Jean Georges. Um, what was that like? And, you know, the sequ- sequence of like big names and restaurants that you worked with after that? 
Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always had the idea that if I were to work for someone else outside of my parents' restaurants, I wanted it to be completely different than what we were doing, right? So non-Latino, non-Peruvian, and, you know, we are still like a ma and pa shop, right? Um, so something on the other side of that spectrum. So I wanted to learn from some of the best chefs and restaurants and, you know, kind of adopt some of what they do, but keep it in a very sort of neighborhood, casual, come as you are sort of presentation from us. Um, I, you know, being so close to New York City and Manhattan, it was, it, you know, it was pretty easy, right? I mean, the restaurant industry in a city like that is always looking for uh, people to, you know, help them out with service and talent. So, you know, uh, no shortage of amazing places to choose from being so close to New York. Most assuredly. And um, before I hand this off to to Gene, because he's kind of going to like go into a different aspect of, of your history um, and what you're you're about. You also um, worked in the industry and in that you have opened and run several different restaurants, including the current one. Yeah, I, I mean, I opened up and, and this is not uh, very much known, but I opened my first restaurant when I was about 19. It was also a rotisserie chicken restaurant in, it was in North Arlington, New Jersey. I had no idea what I was doing. And even though I had, you know, a lot of experience uh, through my parents, um, you know, I was trying to do something very different from what they were doing and what their idea of a restaurant was, right? Um, and mind you, they didn't have formal training like I did, but um, I learned some incredible lessons, you know, during that project. And I still, to this day, with every new project that I take on, get to learn some amazing uh, things uh, to do, what not to do. I get to meet tons of incredible people, people that have worked with me or have worked in um, achieving, you know, these restaurants and these projects. And um, just for relevance, I don't know if you want me to to drop the name of it be, because I do have the name, but um, I do know you also have a restaurant consultation group, um, the Somos uh, Somos Hospitality. Yeah, so I, I also do consulting. I I've been in the business for so many years that um, I decided to uh, start that consultancy during COVID as well. Um, I saw a lot of my peers in the industry, people that I know and that I don't know, um, going through a lot of major changes and um, lots of people jumping into the industry for the first time as well. Um, lots of people jumping out of the industry. So I thought it'd be a great opportunity for me to, you know, share my experiences and, you know, create an additional stream of revenue too. Of course. Yeah. Now, I know that Gene's probably chomping at the bit to try to get into some more details um, about your current restaurant and what you're doing with that. So, Gene. Thanks. Yeah. You know, during the, the I guess, prime period of COVID 2020 is when you really got into this, you know, 
concept or the base concept of what you're going to be doing uh, when you open up the barbecue, you were operating a ghost kitchen and, you know, something that's so popular now in so many places, you know, um, where, you know, you can operate five or six different businesses out of one kitchen. Um, but tell us what the inspiration for that menu for those dishes were that now has carried over to where you're at. Yeah, I mean, when we were at the Ghost Kitchen, um, some of the thought behind the design of the menu was um, thinking about, you know, keeping our staff really, really small. It was still a very uncertain time, and there were uh, tons of restrictions in terms of proximity to other people and um, how many people can be in a room or a certain space. And, you know, kitchens are, you know, environments where there's so much happening very quickly. So I tried designing a menu where we can minimize a little bit of that sort of interaction or, or physical interaction with other people um, in the same space. Um, we were also thinking about the environment. So items that would travel well in, you know, sort of compostable uh, type of packaging and then we were also thinking about, you know, the end user, the end client, and we wanted to create a menu that would travel well. Um, there are some fried items on our menu uh, even today, um, but, you know, we were, for the majority of the menu, the bulk of the menu, we wanted to make sure that there was minimal deterioration or change in the products until it got to... Uh, the client usually through delivery at that time, takeout, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I love that you took all that into consideration because so many people today, you know, want to take their entire menu and, you know, people who do third party apps, you know, like Uber Eats or DoorDash or Grubhub and, you know, they want to throw everything on there and, you know, things like, you know, fried calamari just does not translate to travel. And, you know, you knew that going in, you considered that, you wanted to have that authenticity, you wanted to have, you know, that realism in the food, and, and I applaud you for that uh, in a big way. You know, it, it's really something um, that you put that thought into there, and, you know, so many people just want to go after the money grab, and, and, you know, you saw the quality of your product and what you were doing is a, as much more important. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we sell. We sell food and, you know, we also sell culture. In my case, we're selling Peruvian cuisine and culture. And, you know, in a country where it's not as popular as, let's say, Mexican cuisine, um, definitely want to make sure that uh, the client or the guest is getting the best possible product that we can deliver, you know, with delivery, takeout, putting it in a box. So as a person who, you know, has a lot of years behind them, um, you know, I kind of came through early in you know, my life experiencing South Street where you're going to be located, you know, and, and you were anchored by, you know, Headhouse Square down there and you had places like the Rusty Scupper and, you know, there were so many amazing restaurants down there and, you know, over the years there was a little change and, you know, South Street area kind of fell by the wayside a little bit for the restaurant scene as places like Northern Liberties and, you know, Fishtown and Old City and everything 
really grew into what they you know, what they are today. But you represent a new group of restaurateurs that are going in and taking back South Street and you know really doing you know some great service to the city in that aspect of bringing in new flavors and new cultures and so much. You know, tell us what that experience has been like. Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, we have felt so welcomed by the community there, not just the residents, but uh, the other businesses, some of which have been there for decades, right? Um, So right off the bat, you know, we felt really good about our decision. Um, And yes, South Street was at one time the epicenter of the food world of Philadelphia. Um, Lots of places have come and gone. You know, COVID, you know, really, really um, contributed to the current sort of uh, deterioration of that commercial corridor. But like you also just mentioned, tons of new places are opening up every single month. Um, And I believe that with how connected we are in terms of communicating what we want to eat, where it comes from and how it arrives to us. Um, I believe that you can open up in places like South Street. There are other neighborhoods in the city that this is kind of happening in and still be very successful, integrate with the community and, you know, make something of spaces that kind of have been, you know, like you said, left to to continue to, to deteriorate, right? Um, lots of great opportunity is what we see. Um, I know that last summer, so, you know, a little over a year ago, uh, there was a mass shooting there that also changed the foot traffic. We're seeing it come back. Um, we're creating more events, not just as individual businesses, but as a, you know, neighborhood and district. So lots of great things happening. Uh, we're staying very, very positive. We're all kind of banding together the different businesses and residents that want to see South Street thrive again. Uh, we're all working together to make that happen. And, you know, interviews like the ones that we're participating now in today uh, helps us achieve that. So we really appreciate it. I think so, Amrit has a question. Yes. Yes, I do. So <laughs> sorry, I was unmuting my uh, computer again. So um, speaking of, you know, community, like family and community matters in your culture. Like it's a, it's a big, big thing. Um, And I know that you give back to the community in a variety of ways, but so does your entire family. Um, So I want to just kind of give a nod because your mother um, actually helped found the Peruvian Civic Association of New Jersey. um, And coming up soon because i think it's the on july 23rd there's going to be the parade yeah i mean huge they are i think the second largest peruvian organization in the state of new jersey um the peruvian parade is the first or strongest or largest organization um and this is actually a peruvian independence month so lots of things happening in um in and around New Jersey, there's also a raising of the Peruvian flag in City Hall in Philadelphia 
on the 23rd and and don't don't quote me on that because i'm i'm a little unsure of the date uh from memory but yeah and and really the 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 whole premise of the organization that my mom uh you know she was one of the founders uh their mission is to um you know celebrate peruvian culture help peruvian immigrants and other latino immigrants uh, within the North Jersey region. Um, so, you know, besides this uh, parade and festival that's coming up, um, they also hold uh, different types of cultural pageants and events, um, food drives, um, and other types of fundraisers to help all of the um, members of our community up there. Yeah. And um, you've always been involved in some sort of uh, NGO or NPO and, you know, including Tony's Kitchen and World Central Kitchen and the People's Kitchen. Um, how are you integrating that? Because I don't think that that's something you'd give up um, in the Philadelphia area. Yeah. So my most recent um, collaboration has been with the People's Kitchen, which was founded by Ben Miller um, and uh, if you know Ben's wife, Christina Martinez from South Philly Barbacoa, you know, they are very, very active uh, activists, um, you know, human rights issues and, and food rights issues. Um, so, you know, I, I've cooked with the People's Kitchen. I was one of their chefs there uh, for a couple of seasons. I volunteered there. Um, I'm still very much in touch with Ben and Christina. And, um, you know, it's been an incredible experience to, you know, meet more folks in Philadelphia that do this type of work because um, it kind of feels like home to me. Right. I mean, I cook almost every day for business. I also try to utilize not just the skills, but, you know, the infrastructure that we currently have in place to, you know, give back to folks that might need a meal you know even if it can be at times a little informal we still try our best to give back in that way thank you well, chef one the other things that you know you're really doing too is showcasing you know some authentic and and some you know fusion style south american central american cuisine which is still, you know, in America, we understand European, we have French, we get Spanish, Latino is very popular to a, a certain point. You know, we have so much other, you know, influences, but, you know, Central and South American cuisine and Peruvian cuisine is still something that's really alien to a, a lot of people. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts going forward to help you know, educate our listeners and our people who are dining with you about, you know, the culture, the foods. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, Gene, now that you mentioned this point, another, this was another criteria when we were developing our menu and our current brand, Brazas BBQ Chicken, was to utilize um, main ingredients that are approachable and um, user-friendly to a wider audience, in our case, rotisserie chicken. 
and introducing Peruvian cuisine and what that might look like. If if the listeners don't know about Peruvian rotisserie uh, restaurants in Peru, they are more plentiful than McDonald's. I think they're more plentiful than the major fast food companies that are in Peru combined. So it's a huge part of Peruvian culture. It has a very distinct flavor, Peruvian rotisserie chicken. And the ingredients are the same ingredients that most people have in their pantry. So it doesn't even require like specialty Peruvian spices, etc. It's just a certain type of ingredients that we use, how we use them. Um, and then the sauces that come with the chicken is another uh, sort of uh, calling card of the Peruvian rotisserie chicken experience. We call them pollerias in Peru. Um, so that's one way that we want to introduce the cuisine and the culture through foods that are easily recognizable. They just have slightly different flavors, maybe a slightly different presentation. But, you know, I know a lot of people who eat chicken and when you taste the product, you know, people, people are happy with it. They certainly see and taste the distinction between something that you get at, you know, um, your local Boston market, you know, or even those Costco chickens that are widely talked about because they're so inexpensive. And, um, and you know, that's, that's, that's how we're trying to do it. But I find that more and more people are, are learning about or at least um, sort of adopting Peruvian cuisine staples like ceviche. Even when I worked at Jean George, ceviche, uh, and it was called ceviche, was on his menu during the time um, I worked at Gotham Barn Grill. It wasn't even a, a Latino restaurant, you know, a new American restaurant. They also had a ceviche on their menu. So um, I feel that Peruvian cuisine is kind of up and coming. Top you know, within the top uh, 10 best restaurants in the world um, are in Lima. So, you know, I think that it's our time. So I'm super excited to be a part of that ride. Okay. And I'm excited for you. But let our listeners know where to find you online and in person. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Braza's BBQ Chicken or Barbecue Chicken is located at 326 South Street, right in Philadelphia. And our website is Braza's bbq.net and i'll spell it for you b r a z a s bbq.net all right thank you so much for joining us on food farms and chefs thank you chef hey thanks so much for having us i really appreciate it no problem and we'll be right back next week with another exciting episode of food farms and chefs To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.